Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, this is week four in a message series called Identity Crisis. Now, if you've been here with us through the entire series, you know we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about the different things in our life that cause us to forget who we are and whose we are. In week one, we talked about how the seat of our identity is is in this. You are a person deeply loved by your heavenly father. If you're unsure of who you are, that's who you are. This is what the scriptures say about you. You are a man or woman deeply loved by your heavenly father. A person made in his image. And your goal on the earth, if you've ever wondered, you know, have you ever had time to think existential, grand, like meta-level, philosophical thoughts about what your life's purpose is? The scriptures actually have something to say about that. Our life's purpose is to glorify God. To glorify God with our life. Now, you do that by accident all the time because you were made in his image. You kind of can't help it. You point to him. But man, when you get your life living on mission, when you start intentionally glorifying God with your life, amazing things happen. In week two, we talked about the piece of glass that tends to to cause us to forget who we are and whose we are. The mirror and the secondary piece of glass, the phone screen, through which we compare ourselves to everybody else's life, often unfavorably, often causing stress, and, you know, kind of turmoil in our own lives. We compare ourselves to images of others. We compare our lives to the lives of others. And it causes us to forget who we are and whose we are. Last week, we talked about perfection and our obsession with it. And our, 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 our absolute, you know, unyielding focus on success at every level and how that can mess us up. And today, we're talking about something very powerful in each of our lives that can cause us to forget who we are and whose we are. We're talking today about our past, the things we've done, the things that have been done to us. I want you guys to take a little, uh, let's do a little, we're going to do a little memory journey, okay, a little, a little, a little uh, mental journey. I want to encourage you guys to close your eyes. Just close your eyes with me real quick. I know if you're new, you're like, what is this? I don't want to close my eyes. We're not going to try to make you drink any Kool-Aid or anything. Just easy. Just trust me, okay, close your eyes. No subliminal messages. Send money. Not, not, not kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Don't, don't worry about that. Seriously, close your eyes for a minute. And remember, travel back with me in your mind to your grammar school classroom. Any of the years that you may have spent in grammar school, if they were in different classrooms, just pick one and zero back in your mind to your grammar school classroom. Can you remember it? Remember where you hung up your coat? Remember that Fred Flintstone-looking desk you used to sit at? Remember your teacher? Remember that boy or girl you had a crush on? Remember who sat next to you? Remember the lunch lady in the lunchroom? Just dwell there for a moment. Okay, come back to me now. So pretty, pretty cool um, how, how fast and how powerfully those messages and those memories return to us, is it not? I mean, for me, that's a long time ago. 
But I can still remember so vividly that Fred Flintstone looking desk that I used to sit at. I remember the classroom. I remember all of it. And for some of us, that's a wonderful memory. For some of us, going back to grammar school is just a wonderful thing, and we just, oh, yeah, those were such good times. But for others of us, that's a painful journey. Some of us didn't have too good of a time in grammar school or in middle school. How many of you have observed, anybody here uh, besides me observed, that there is no animal on the planet more ruthless or cunning than a middle schooler? Or, or a, 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 an older grammar school kid? You've observed that in your life, right? They're like predators. They prey upon one another. It's true. And if you had a difficult time, do you remember? Come on, let's just, it hurts, I know, but what did they call you? What was it? Oh, it still comes right back, doesn't it? Oh, it's decades later, but it's right here. It's just right, right at the surface. Yeah, that, that was a little bit of my experience. My, my full name is Bertrand Wallace Crab. We have a visitor from my third grade classroom here today. It's wonderful. Thanks. <laughs> also with me today is my mom who named me. Mom, I love you. I'm not mad. It's all good. You're going to get a therapy bill, but we're cool. Okay, so um, I love my name. I grew into it. I own it. It's a, there's a wonderful story behind it, which I'll tell you another time. But I got made fun of a lot as a kid, and it marked me for a very long time. And so did some of you. And there are wounds for some of us that go back to that era. And, and, and even moving forward, there are wounds. Things that were done to us. Things that were said to us. Words that were said to us. Sometimes by our classmates. Sometimes by our friends. Sometimes by our parents. Did your parents say things to you that wounded you? And those wounds are still there? For some of us, we still have things hemorrhaging deep inside of us. And we grew up still bleeding, still hemorrhaging. And for some of you, it's defined you. And if you've been with us the last several weeks and you've heard anything I said, I hope you've heard me saying to you, these things do not define you. What they said about you does not define you. Those words do not define you. They were wrong about you. That's not who you are. But for others of us, it goes way deeper than words, doesn't it? <clears throat> Maybe it's not so much what was done to you. Maybe it was something you did. Maybe for some of you it was a DUI, or maybe you left the scene of the accident and no one knows, and you're just living in fear. Maybe for some of you it was a failed marriage, or maybe you got fired from your job, or maybe you betrayed somebody, or maybe you cheated and got caught, maybe you got kicked out of the house. Maybe you were not only the victim of abuse, but maybe you eventually went on to perpetrate some abuse against someone else. Maybe you spent a chunk of your life as inmate number 24689 
or maybe you've been going to meetings for years and introducing yourself and saying, hi, my name is so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic, hi, my name is so-and-so, and I'm an addict, as if that's all you are. Maybe it's the abortion that haunts you. Maybe it's, it's that thing that you said to someone else or that thing that you did to someone else that is so chewing you up right now. And when those things come to the surface, when you're sitting there in your chair wishing so badly that I was preaching on something else this morning, what we have to acknowledge in those moments is that often we're not dealing with guilt we're dealing with shame, and they are two very different things, yes? Guilt and shame are very different things. Guilt is actually a good thing. Guilt is a good thing. Guilt is what we feel, hopefully, when we've done something wrong, when we've done something we shouldn't have done, when we've crossed a line with God or with our fellow man, when we do something to, our, to the Lord or to our neighbor that crosses a line, guilt is appropriate. There's a word for people that do bad things and never feel any guilt. The word is sociopath. So guilt is appropriate. Guilt is a good thing. It's normal for us and a good thing because the, the, the guilt, the conviction we feel in those moments is designed to, to cause us to turn course, to come back to God. We all sin, we all screw up, we all fall short. Every one of us, me too, believe me. We all sin, we all fall short, and in those moments, it is guilt and conviction from the Lord that leads us to repentance, to turning, to come back to Him, to say, I'm sorry, I don't want to do that anymore. The trouble is, for many people, we... we, we, we We'll confess and we'll come back and we'll return to God. Let me ask you a question. Has anybody here ever um, confessed something to God and felt very relieved at his forgiveness and felt very grateful for his forgiveness and just felt, just you, you almost want to rejoice because, oh, it's so amazing he forgives me, but then like two days later you're feeling guilty about it again? Anybody? I'm the only one? Wow! No, we've all been there. I think a lot of us have been there. And what's, what's, what's at play in that moment is not God having changed his mind. If the sin is in your past and it isn't ongoing and you've confessed it but you're still feeling guilty, what's at play now is a faith issue. We have to, in those moments, believe that God forgives us. Believe that we're cleansed from our sins. That happens when we come clean, when we repent, when we come to God with honesty. This happened to King David. So we could spend a whole nother sermon talking about what King David did. Suffice it to say, he messed up big time. Really, really, really did some things that were horrible. And there was a prophet that came to him and confronted him. And this is how David responded. I'm going to read to you from Psalm 51, from a translation called The Message. Psalm 51. Generous in love, God, give grace, huge in mercy. Wipe out my bad record. Scrub away 
my sin, scrub away my guilt, soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. You're the one I violated, and you've seen it all, seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time, in the wrong since before I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me then. Conceive a new, true life. Man, I love that closing verse. Conceive a new, true life. Start something new in me. David's words are are really telling and really clear. He's come clean. He's come to the throne of God and said, I know, I know I blew it. I know I screwed up. I know I did something terrible. And now I just need God's forgiveness. And when we do that, God forgives us. And our sin is cleansed. And we don't have to live with the guilt of it anymore. And we don't have to let it fester into shame. Shame is what happens when guilt is allowed to fester. When guilt is allowed to get infected. It poisons our system. And some of you know what I mean by shame. And I've been, I've been struggling with this myself lately. I want to pull up, pull up a stool here and share a couple things with you guys about what's been going on in my life. It has now been two, just about two and a half years since my divorce. And if you're new to our church and you've joined us in the last two and a half years, that may be news to you because I haven't talked about it on the stage since. But if you're new, the lead pastor of our church is divorced. And I've been trying to lead our church and, and go through all the different things that single people struggle with, that we all struggle with, and it's really, really hard. And I have been, at times, really overcome by shame. I had, and you're going to hear me talk about this some more in the next few weeks. Last week, uh, or I'm sorry, last month I had an experience with a group of pastors I was with. I was invited recently to join a coaching cohort. A coaching cohort is basically just, it's a, a group of a group of pastors of similar sized churches from uh, different parts of the country. We were invited to gather, to learn from each other, to bounce ideas off of each other. Uh, we, it was arranged for us to visit the home of a really, really well-known pastor in California who pastors a large church. And we were going to kind of go and like sit at his feet and learn and, 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 you know, sharpen each other. And I was honored to be invited, like really excited to get to be invited. But I was dreading the first night of the gathering because I knew what was going to happen. I knew what was coming. I knew we were going to have to go around the circle. You know, at, at night we'd have our dinner and, and we, were, we were staying in an Airbnb and we all went to our, our rooms and then we went outside and we kind of circled up around a fire pit in the backyard and kind of just hung out and some guys lit a cigar and we're kind of just talking and sharing life and we going around the circle, the guy running the thing says, all right, let's go around the circle, introduce yourself, give your life story, and sure enough, going around the circle, and, and every single one of these guys is married. I'm the only divorced guy in the group. And to be a divorced pastor, it's just, it just sucks. 
So, because the shame of it, I just felt like such a failure. And I was dreading it. I mean, I can still remember this feeling. It's, it's so close to me. And we get around the deal, and I share my story. And I didn't go to, into a, a lot of detail with these guys. There's not a lot of detail to go into. My wife and I parted as friends. She's a wonderful woman. There's nothing, nothing like that in the story. But I shared, you know, the high-level stuff. And they were all, every one of them was so gracious and so kind. And they shared some of their struggles. And it, and it was, afterwards, it was not a thing. Once once it was out in the open, it was like not a thing anymore. But oh, the fear and the shame of it. Leading right up to that moment. Do you know what it feels like to feel ashamed of yourself? Because you did something or you failed at something? Loved ones, listen to me and listen close. Guilt and conviction come from the Holy Spirit, but shame is not from God. Shame does not come from God. Shame, guilt says, I did something wrong. Shame says, I am something wrong. Guilt says, I did something wrong. Shame says, something's wrong with me. Shame is not from God. You fall, I fall, we, 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 we get back up again. We get forgiveness and we try to move on and put the pieces back together. It's really, really, really difficult, though, to fight that off once it's got its hooks into us. There's only one thing that can fully and finally abolish shame. Shame is a powerful enemy. How many of you guys know that? Shame is a powerful enemy. When shame has its hooks into you, when you feel like you're feeling terrible about yourself, and it's like, when shame comes over you, it's like a, a dark cloud. It's like a, a, a thick blanket soaked in water that you can't breathe through, and it just, it just it dampens everything and clouds everything, and it affects everything. And it's, shame is a powerful enemy, but shame itself has a powerful enemy, and that powerful enemy of shame is grace, God's grace, his forgiveness. The words in the scriptures that we have about how he feels about us when we turn back to him. I'm going to hit you with some verses now, kind of uh, rapid fire from different parts of the Bible so we can kind of get a, a real picture of how God feels about stuff like this. This is from uh, beginning with, with the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. I have swept away your sins like the morning mists. I have scattered your offenses like the clouds. Oh, return to me. For I have paid the price to set you free. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The Apostle Paul, in the letter of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 17, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And I want to read that out, you guys to read that out loud with me. Here we go. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. 
No condemnation. And if you look to the Scriptures, God, have, have you ever had a moment like this when you hear Scriptures like that stacked up one on top of the other, on top of the other, on top of the other, and that, that list, could like, we could have gone on and on and on. Have you ever noticed sometimes that the voice of God in the Scriptures doesn't sound like the voice of God you think you hear in your head? You ever notice that? Because the voice of God we sometimes hear in our head, you know, it's, it's, it's wrong. That's not Him. We feel shame and we feel like, like something's wrong with us and we feel discarded. And it, it's, it's as if we imagine God saying, you have now disqualified yourself from my forgiveness. You have screwed up so royally and so badly and your sin is so profoundly dark and evil that you have now exceeded the reach of my grace and there's no forgiveness for you and I can forgive everybody else except you so you now just sit there in your shame. I mean, nobody hears those words, but sometimes that's the effect. That's how we feel. And it's like we imagine God saying, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I don't want to see you anymore. You and I are done. And what you get when you look to the Scriptures, and I love that first, that the first one we read from Isaiah. Oh, return to me, for I have paid the price to set you free. In our mind, we imagine God saying, get out of here. I don't want to talk to you anymore. All the things you've done have stacked up, and now you're beyond hope. And in the Scriptures, what we actually find is, oh, return to me. All I want is for you to return to me. When I bring guilt, when I bring conviction, when I send my Holy Spirit to whisper to you, it is not to condemn you. It is not to beat you down. It is not to overwhelm you with shame so that you just give up. My whole point, says the Lord, is to cause life change. To cause you to start seeing differently and thinking differently and addressing your blind spots and confessing the places where you have fallen short. Come back to me, says the Lord. And it's amazing because I wrote and prepared this sermon months ago and it so, it so applies to me. Like I, I, I may go back and listen to myself because I could use it for myself. Loved ones, there'll always be voices of condemnation. The scriptures give the devil a name. They call him the accuser. There'll always be an accuser. But that doesn't have to define you. That's not who you are. Don't let your past rob you. Don't let your past and the things that, are, that, that were done to you and the things you did to others, don't let those things rob you. Don't let them cause you to have an identity crisis. Don't let those things make you forget who you are and whose you are. You're his beloved son or daughter, and there is no condemnation for you in Jesus Christ. It is God's kindness that leads us to repentance, leads us to turn back to him. I'm trying to do that in my own life. I'm doing that in my own life. And I pray the same over each of you as you go through the struggles that you struggle with, that each of us in those moments will yield 
to the guilt and conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit when we step out of line, but reject wholesale the shame that says we are somehow flawed and beyond the great love of our Heavenly Father who paid for our forgiveness through the shed blood of His innocent Son, Jesus Christ. Because the cross is the final word on that. Not the accuser, not your past, not your shame. The cross has the final word. When our sins are lifted up off of us and paid for by Jesus, we go free of them. May that be true in my life and may that be true in all of your lives. With that, let's close in prayer. Father, we love you. And we thank you so much for this truth. We pray now, fill us with faith to believe it. It's so easy to let shame get its hooks into us. We've all failed so much and fallen so far and fallen so far short. It's just easy to be overwhelmed by terrible feelings. Father, we're praying, each of us, give us faith enough to believe that you really do want us back, call us back to you, desire in your heart, Father, to forgive us, Help us put our faith in that forgiveness and say no forever to the shame and accusation that comes from the enemy. May it be so in all of our lives. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give. Or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word TRUENORTH to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.